Thank you, everybody. Once again, we're here with the Digital Selling Podcast. I'm here with Duncan Wardle, the Hello. former VP of Innovation and Creativity at Walt Disney. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, if you could just, I did a little intro, but uh, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a Brit. I drink tea. I've got bad teeth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why do Indians, Brits, and Chinese have bad teeth? Because we drink tea. We drink tea. Um, so other than that, uh, 30 years at Disney, um, last 10 ahead of innovation and creativity. Um, got the job because I was the guy who seemed to have all the mad ideas. So the chairman said, you're going to be in charge of innovation. I was like, what the hell is that? And he said, I don't know, just go figure it out. So um, we surveyed 5,000 people at Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilms, asked them what were the barriers to being more innovative and creative at work. Number one, I don't have time to think. Considered the biggest barrier to innovation by everybody. Number two, consumer insight is underused by most of the people in the organization. They've never even met a consumer. Number three, ideas get stuck, diluted, or killed as they move through the process. Number four, we're risk averse. We've got quarterly results to meet. And number five was uh, we all had a different definition of innovation. And so we sought to solve that first because those were the big barriers. All right. Thanks, Duncan. So, Duncan, um, innovation, creativity, what's the difference between the two? I d- so, we were all born creative. Right. When you were a little boy, you got a Christmas present. It came in a giant box. It took you ages to get the gift out of the, the box. What did you spend the rest of the day playing with? I played with the box. The box, because it could be anything you wanted it to be. It could be a castle, a rocket ship, a fort. And then as we go to school, we're told it's just a box. Right. And our imagination and our creativity starts to collapse from a very, very, very early age. To children, everything is, children think expansively. The more expertise and the more experience we get, the more reductive we think. Um, and we're told, you're in finance, you're not creative. You're a lawyer, you're not. You're in sales, you're, and we're told, you're not creative. I don't agree with that. I don't define creativity as limiting as you can write music, sing, or paint. I define creativity as the ability to have an idea. I define innovation as the ability to get it done. Okay, idea and get it done. Yeah. Simple as that. I mean, so when Steve Jobs said, I want to create the slimmest computer in the world and I need to get it in an envelope, they didn't know how to get it done. Right. Right. But he had a vision. He had an idea, but they got it done. That's the innovation piece. Okay. Simple example. Very good. So I think the biggest question is now we talk a lot about sales and we talk a lot about the digital platform. A lot of people think we cannot be as salespeople. It's all face to face. We can't be creative with that. So what I is think salespeople are some of the most creative people on the planet because if you saw the exercise that we did earlier on when I asked them to come up with an idea and somebody kept saying no because, salespeople are so used to being told no, they just dance around it. They're actually some of the most, but they've been told you're in sales, you're not creative. Salespeople are actually some of the most creative people on the planet. And what would you say would be a, the way to spark creativity within somebody? Well, here's the thing. Um, where are you and what are you doing when you get your best idea? Uh, me, personally, yeah. it's like when I work out or run. Okay, so you're going to hear shower, running, walking, jogging, commuting, driving, falling asleep, waking up. We never hear at work. No. Well, that's a bummer because we're paid to have big ideas at work. Think about that last big argument you were in. You were angry with somebody. You stormed away. You were so furious with them. And five minutes later, what popped into your head? The killer one-liner. That one yes. you wish you'd used during the argument. Right. So here's the thing. The biggest barrier to innovation, or one of them, is we don't have time to think. But the moment you gave yourself time to think, the moment you stepped away from that argument, the moment you stepped into the shower, you come up with a killer one line or the big idea. But we don't give ourselves time to think. And so one of the things I do is um, we live in what I call busy beta. It's that brain state where the door between your um, subconscious and conscious brain is firmly closed because I'm in the argument, I'm defending myself, but the moment I stepped away, that door opens. 
Right. I'm at work, I'm busy, I'm stressed, I'm doing presentations, I'm doing... And the door's closed again. I step into the shower, bang, the door opens. I can still make informed decisions, but I have big ideas. So how do I get you to that state on demand? How do I metaphorically place you back in the shower? Option A, bring showers to work. A bit messy and very ugly. Tough um, for salespeople too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Option B, I just run an energizer when I'm about to run a session. It's a fun exercise. It lasts one or two minutes. All I'm doing is listening for laughter. The moment I've got laughter, I know I just open that door between your conscious and subconscious brain and place you metaphorically back in. Why is that important? Because 87% of our brain is subconscious. And when you're in busy beta and stressed at work and don't have time to think, the door between your conscious and subconscious brain is firmly closed. You're only working with 13% of the capacity. At the moment you step into the shower away from the argument, you've got access to that other 87%, which is why you come up with the big idea or the killer one-liner. So part of the exercise is just to actually have people laugh, believe it or not, because once I hear laughter, I know I've opened the door between your conscious and subconscious brain. So would you say, uh, now some, one of the things that you spoke about was having fun. So this laughter and having fun, is it related? It, playfulness is very important. I mean, you know, look at kids, right? They've got amazing imagination. The challenge for all of us is the, the more experience we get, the more expertise we get, the more we go into our river of thinking. You're right. Your and, so, and we're really good at whatever it, it could be sales, could be, we're really good at it, and that we can make decisions quick because our river of thinking is wide, deep, and fast. But we're being asked to get out of that river more and more often and quicker and quicker because of the level of disruption that's coming. So all I've done, and it's the hardest thing to do, is stop thinking like you always have. That's really hard. So all I've done is create some simple tools that help get you out of your river of thinking and thinking differently. So one of the easiest ones to use is we all have rules. We all like to secretly break rules when our boss isn't around. But what right. if there was? A, but we've all got rules in our organisation. You think why do we do that? Because we've always done it. Right. Why do you do a weekly meeting? Because we've always done. Why do you do a weekly report? Because nobody reads it. And it's like eh. um, it's time to challenge the norm. So this tool was created by Walt. It's it's called What If. You list the rules of your challenge. You pick one rule. And you say, what if that rule no longer existed? And I'll give you a couple of examples. 1940, Walt had Fantasia, the film, the classical animated masterpiece. And he wanted it to mist inside the theatre during drip, 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 the label showers. He wanted heat pumped in during night on a bare mountain. And the theatre owner said, no, Walt, too expensive. So Walt listed the rules of going to a movie. I must go at a set time. I must pay a ticket. I must sit down. It's dark. I can only watch one movie at a time. But then he wrote a rule as a producer. He said, I can't control the environment. He said, what if I could? That's not provocative enough. The more provocative you're um, and absurd your what of question, the further out of your river of thinking you'll get. So he said, what if I take my movies out of the theatre? Well, how are you going to do that? Well, well, they couldn't be two-dimensional because they fall over and I don't own any screens. Well, what if I made my movies three-dimensional? But if I made them three-dimensional, um, I'd have to people play the characters. Whatever well, people play the characters. Cinderella can't live next to Jack Sparrow or, or Davy Crockett because people wouldn't be immersed in her story. Well, I'll... Well, what if I put it in a different lap? Oh, I know. I'll call it Disneyland. Now, same thing for Netflix. Uh, right? You had late fees at Blockbuster Video. Yes. The founder of uh, I didn't rewind either. Right. Yeah. The founder of Blockbuster got a uh, founder of Netflix got fed up of paying late fees, so he listed the rules of going to Blockbuster. I must drive to a physical store. I must be kind of rewind. I only get three at a time. I must go during opening hours. I must have a membership card. I must pay a late fee. And he took one rule and said, "What if there was no physical store?" didn't know how to do it. If you know how to do it, it's iterational innovation. He said, well, 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 YouTube's been around for 10 years. Well, they stream amateur content. Well, what if I just create a service that create, that streams professional content? I'll do a deal with the movie studios. Nobody would have to be kind of rewind. I open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Everybody gets the one they want opening day weekend. I'll cut the rental off at 24 hours so nobody pays a late fee. I'll take my idea to Blockbuster Video five times. They'll turn me down five times. 
I'll take them out of business in less than five years. Now, it's easy to look at Netflix and Disney and say, they're so big, we can't do that. Disagree, respectfully. Uh, there was a small company in Great Britain, which is a perfect example of how to make tools, how to use the tool. They made glasses that we drink out of. Right. And they found that when they were packing and wrapping them and shipping them, too much breakage, not enough production. So they went down to the shop floor, listed the rules. 26 employees, cardboard boxes, 12 glasses to a box, glasses separated by corrugated cardboard, glasses wrapped individually in newspaper, employees reading newspaper. So somebody asked the absurd what-if question. What if we poke their eyes out? Well... That's against the law, and it's not very nice. Uh, but because he asked the absurd what-if question, the person sitting next to him said, wait a minute, what if we hire blind people? So they did. Production went up over 20%, breakage went down over 75%, and the British government gave them a 50% salary subsidy for hiring people That's with amazing. disabilities. Um, another one, which is very powerful, is bringing in a naive expert to every session you run. Who is naive expert? Yeah. So here's the success criteria. They don't work in your industry and they don't work for you. So what does that give them permission to do that you can't? It, it gives them permission to ask the silly question that you can't ask in front of all your peers. It gives them permission to throw out the audacious idea ungoverned by your constraints. They won't solve the challenge for you. But in asking the provocative question or the absurd idea, they will stop you thinking as you always do and get you out of your river of thinking. Um, I did an exercise earlier today where I asked people to draw a house. And if, if people now took seven seconds to draw a house, I know what they're going to draw. Right. They're going to draw the door at the front, two windows with the bars over them, and a triangle at the top. Yes. Why? Because that's my river of expertise tells me that's what a house should look like, everything I've been trained to think. So I was designing a new retail dining and entertainment complex for Hong Kong Disneyland. I had in the room 12 white male American architects over 50. That's called groupthink. So I invited in as my naive expert a young Chinese female chef because she was the antithesis of everybody else. And when they drew exactly what I knew they were going to draw, the house with the triangle for a roof, um, she drew dim sum architecture, which if you've never seen it before, is that round bamboo dish that your dim sum would come in. Right. A prawn ball, a pork ball, and a little Chinese lady waving out the window. We all laughed because we realized we stayed in our river of thinking of what a house should look like. She gave us permission to get out of that river of thinking and consider audacious architecture. If any company in the world could consider audacious architecture, it would be the Walt Disney Company. Of course. Um, on the way out the door, somebody slapped a post-it <coughs> note over her drawing and said, distinctly Disney, authentically Chinese. Her drawing. Seven years later, the strategic brand positioning for the Shanghai Disney Resort became distinctly Disney, authentically Chinese. Companies do not understand the power of diversity. Diversity is innovation. If somebody looks different to you, they think different to you. And if they think different to you, they can help you think different. That's beautiful. That's, that's absolutely beautiful. Um, at, the, at the talk earlier today, he spoke about, the guy who introduced you, he, he spoke about something that you said about Henry Ford, one of your favorite uh, quotes of yeah. How would you relate that to, to creativity? Whether or not you think you can or think you can't, you're probably right. It's my favorite quote. If you think you can do it, you're going to end up doing it. If you don't think you can do it, you probably won't. I mean, look at Muhammad Ali, if you're old enough. When I used to watch Ali fight, Ali could see his victories. Ali would go on camera before the fight with Smokey Joe Frazier, or showing my age here, or, or George Foreman, and he said, George is going down in the sixth, sixth round with a left hook. Guess what? Sixth round, left hook. He could see his victory. And so um, when I would pick some of the most absurd projects, I just believed I could do it. So when I said, hey, we're opening Toy Story, I said, how do, how do we get create noise around Toy Story? And I said, well, what if we could make Buzz Lightyear's dream come true? Well, Buzz Lightyear's dream was to fly. He couldn't fly as a toy. Right. I said, well, what if he could fly? And they all looked at me like I was mad. I said, well, what if we put him on a space shuttle? And people were like, well, how the hell are you going to do that? I said, I'm going to ask. So I went up and met with NASA, and they agreed to take Buzz into space. Uh, you could tell 50% of the room loved the idea of taking Buzz Lightyear into space, and 50% of the room didn't even want to 
opened the window before they threw me through it. But they agreed to take it. Six months later, or six months before launch, we get a call from Johnson Space Center saying, we need Buzz Lightyear here today. I was like, why the hell do you need Buzz Lightyear here today? They said, we need two identical Buzz Lightyears here. I was like, why? They said, well, we need to take one apart pretty much atom by atom. I was like, why? And they said, well, because if one of the buzzes has an air pocket the size of a molecule inside the plastic, that could explode in the vacuum of space and kill one of our astronauts. I was like, yeah, totally. I knew that. We, of course. <laughs> That's what I would have So... I had 37 people out in Walmart, Kmart, Target, Disney, trying to find Buzz Lightyear. So don't tell me this deal is going down because we can't find Buzz Lightyear. So we found one. We're up against the FedEx deadline. I was in a total panic. So I get in my car. I get a call. We didn't have smartphones. Um, I couldn't see who it's from. I answered the phone. All I heard was, suddenly, I'm I was like, who the hell is this? It was my wife. She said, it's, my, it's James's dude. It's been collecting dust under the bed. I was like, get it over. So I wrote James on the bottom of his foot, just as Andy wrote uh, Andy's wow. name on the bottom of his foot. And I sent them off to NASA. I said, don't destroy this one. This is a real little boy's Buzz Lightyear. So six months later, we were invited to the launch. I was quite emotional. I was like, my little boy's going to space. Right. So um, off he went, up into space. And if you look at YouTube, Buzz Lightyear's flight in space. You will see Buzz Lightyear got his dream come true. He flew Check that out, space. everybody. Buzz Lightyear out in space. So we amazing. were. Um, so then we were tasked with getting more noise for the next Toy Story. And I thought, how the hell am I going to top sending Buzz Lightyear into space? Right. I thought, I'm going to bring him home. So I phoned up NASA. I said, hey, when are you bringing Buzz back? Total silence on the other end of the phone. I was like, no man left behind, right? And the guy goes, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. He says, that was never part of the contract. I said, well, no, but I said, you bring everything back, right? I said, no, we don't. I said, well, what do you do with the stuff you take into space? He goes, well, you just open the hatch and push it out the back. I was like, oh, you can't incinerate Buzz Lightyear in the Earth's atmosphere. I'll leak it to the world's press that NASA killed Buzz Lightyear. My tongue was so far in my cheek, but bless him. He didn't know if I was being serious or not. So God bless NASA. They agreed to bring Buzz home at the cost of God knows how much money to bring him through the Earth's atmosphere. When he landed, there was poor weather, so they didn't land in Florida. I don't know if you remember the days where they used to land in California. Right. And you'd see the space shuttle on the back of a 747 coming back across the country. Yes. And um, I had that passenger manifest. And it's seat 1A, Congressman, blah, blah, blah. Seat 1B, Senator, blah, blah, blah. Seat 2C, astronaut, blah. Seat 13A, Buzz Lightyear. I was like, my boy's coming home. He's a true astronaut. If you go to the Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. and ask them, you will find my son's Buzz Lightyear inside the Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. And if you look on the bottom of his foot, it just says James. That's a fantastic story. Thank Whether you. or not you think you can or think you can't, you're probably right. With that, I think we'll close. Uh, Duncan, thank you so much for sharing for me. your story and, um, and sharing innovation and cool. creativity to us. Thank you very much. And thank you all and once, uh, once again for joining us. And we see you all next time. Can I add Cheers. one piece of advice? Yes, please. Do what you love. If you're not working somewhere that you don't like, leave. You were good at something in school, and you always got A's, and you loved it. Do what you love. If you can dream it, you can do it. It's the Walt Disney. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thanks, Duncan. Cool. Thanks very much. I'm off for a cup of tea. <laughs>